values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being with us. Uh, a big, one of the big things we've talked about is the silver lining around what's happening happening economically is that the jobs numbers stay very strong in the U.S., which means wages stay high and people have options. Uh, two things. Number one is one of the biggest searches now, one of the most common searches when it comes to employment is for part-time. People are looking for a second job to keep their heads above water. That's a concern that people are not able to make ends meet with their full-time gig. They're looking for a side hustle as the ways to make ends meet. Here's another. This is just one. This is about uh, Ford, the company Ford, uh, ABC News report and what Ford is doing that is being echoed around the country. Ford Motor Company says it's cutting 3,000 white-collar jobs. The reductions, which amount to about 6% of the company's workforce in the U.S. and Canada, include 2,000 full-time salaried positions, along with 1,000 contract workers. Some workers in India will also lose jobs. It's part of a cost-cutting plan to help Ford make the long transition from internal combustion vehicles to those powered by batteries. The company's 56,000 union factory workers will not be affected. Daria Albinger, ABC News. As signs of U.S. economic slowdown mount, about half of American companies are planning to cut jobs, even as business leaders fret about the difficulties of hiring and retaining talent. This is according to PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, this most recent Pulse survey indicates that half of the more than 700 U.S. executives responding to a survey said they plan to slash jobs. This comes as no surprise. This is a company said in a statement. Um, as a frenzy of hiring and a tight labor market over the last few years, executives see the distinction between having people and having people with the right skills. So is this going to be a correction in the market? Sure. Overall, despite weaker economic signals, the broad array of business risks, business leaders express cautious optimism about their future prospects. So um, we are seeing a slowdown possibly in the hiring, which means if you've had choices in the past, it's been a seller's market. We went through this in the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s, 2005, I would say, um, where construction in uh, that's the world I came from. Construction in Arizona was going so strong, it was hard to keep people. We, you would have, and they were hourly workers that work for you, that could literally walk off your job site at lunchtime and never come back and go to work that same day after lunch for another company for another 50 cents or a dollar an hour. And business owners had to be creative because at a time, you know, when you have jobs set at a certain price point for wages, um, you aren't going to be able to continue to go higher and higher and higher in the hourly wage that you're paying people. There's a, there's a limit to how much you can pay them. So what they were doing was giving bonuses. If you stayed at work with us for 90 days, if you worked for three months straight, you didn't miss a day, you got a $1,000 bonus. And that was a way to get people to work throughout a job. They didn't want to give up that 1000 bucks. They may leave and go somewhere else after, but they fulfilled their requirement to a lot of jobs, to a lot of business owners. That extra $1,000, especially for a skilled employee, was, was a very uh, well-spent expense. And um, what we saw in that seller's market when it cooled off. In 2007, when you saw 
in 2008 when the market crashed and there wasn't construction jobs, all of those very overpaid employees, many of them lost their jobs or were told they were going to get a pay cut. And there was a correction in the economy that took years to climb out of. Now, I don't believe that Arizona is going to be anywhere near that because we have such a high demand for houses now. This is uh, that that what that was a bubble that was created. That is this is not a bubble. But when it comes to employment, you have people that have now working full-time jobs. Then they have a side hustle to try to make ends meet. Well, as those side hustles dry up, you're going to see more and more full-time employees not being able to make ends meet. That's where the major concern comes in our economy. That's what so many people are worried about. When we, We've talked about this early on. In all of this was watching credit card usage, not just people going into debt, because there are times when people going into debt is a good sign. If you see people taking a vacation and putting it on a credit card, going out and financing an automobile, saying we're going to get rid of our older car, we not maybe not going to buy a brand new car, but we're going to finance a newer car because we know we're going to have a job and we're going to have the ability to pay it off. That kind of going into debt is a good sign for the economy. Whether it's good for your personal economy, I'm not, you know, I'm not Dave Ramsey. I'm just saying that's a sign that the economy is strong and consumer confidence is there. But the kind of debt that we've seen going up in the last year or so has been people putting necessities on credit cards. When you're already paying a huge amount of money for food, now you're paying interest on that food because you're putting it on a credit card. More and more families that are working families that are working full time and they find themselves getting emergency food boxes every once in a while to get them through the last couple of days before they get paid. I, I've told the joke. It's not a joke. I've told it's a funny story. It's not a joke that in my brother's family, you know, cops don't make a lot of money. Um, and yeah, they're raising three kids and uh, th- they get paid every two weeks. So the kids knew the phrase. It was either pay week or poor week. And you only asked your parents for money during pay week because there was none on poor week. And so as much as it's kind of a funny anecdote, that's real life for people. And the silver lining is that if you're willing to work your brains out, you can find a way to keep your head above water because there's work out there for you. And now we're hearing... About half of American corporations are looking at cutting jobs, and they're going to cut those employees for a long time. It's we need warm bodies, you know, and, and we've been in that position. When you're working on a, a, a job, and I've done a few of them with something called liquidated damages, which means if you're not done by a drop-dead date, you, the contractor or the subcontractor, you are responsible for a dollar amount for every day past that due date. So having bodies on the job site matters, and you go to temporary services, and you pay exorbitant amount of money – amounts of money to get qualified people on the job, or sometimes I just need somebody here. I need someone with a strong back and a weak mind. Get on the job site. Let's go. And we just need you there. Do what you're told. And and, and you get creative when you're in that kind of a crunch. The problem is, as soon as it reverses itself, you're going to see a quick reversal in a lot of this. And there's going to be a lot of people that are working class standing out in the cold. And this is the kind of stuff we're worried about. So I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, which is at a time when this is happening, we are going to see the implementation of this Inflation Reduction Act with um, regulation on oil and gas industries and the taxation of the job creators and the very wealthy companies. They say it's only them. 87,000 more IRS agents going after the business community as a whole. 
This is not the right direction to go. And you may want to call it a political statement. It's based in political ideology. But the timing of this is terrible. The timing of this could not be worse. And I just hope people keep that in mind as we move forward and what we're going to do politically to try to right the ship before we get into a disaster. That's the hope. Coming up in a moment, um, we're going to go back to the topic of the United States border to our south. The D.C. mayor asks for the National Guard and the New York mayor asks for federal dollars. What are the answers to those two requests? We'll give you the answers next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We're going to start from the outside and work our way in. So we're going to start on the other side of the border with this topic, and we're going to talk about what's happened. Uh, there was a huge amount of fentanyl that was caught at the port of Nogales coming into Arizona. How many of us have gone through that port? How many of us have gone into Nogales to shop in recent years? How many of us go down to uh, Rocky Point? And uh, when we see what's happening at the border, the frustration should be from all of us. And the amount of fentanyl that was seized in one ship shipment, 1.27 fentanyl pills and two pounds of fentanyl powder hidden in the floor compartment of an 18-wheeler. That's what CBP is facing every single day and how much of it's getting through versus how much of it's getting caught. That's part of the big issue. The other story is about a humanitarian group from Arizona that for years, this is a, it features a guy named James Holman. Um, as the rest of his volunteer group moved ahead of him, Holman crouched on the ground of a dried-up riverbed and became transfixed by a seemingly inconspicuous grouping of rocks. He had found a bone. Broken and bleached white with the desert, the bone fragment lay nestled between a mound of rocks. Unsure if the fragment was human or animal, he placed his foot next to it for a reference and snapped a photo. The picture alongside coordinates of the bone would soon be sent to specialists to identify and collect if necessary. He's a marine vet. Um, and they've been doing this for a long time. The Arizona-based humanitarian group Battalion Search and Rescue is a handful of volunteers who focus on searching for migrants in distress and migrant remains. They scour the remote rugged areas of the Arizona desert monthly, finding an average of two human remains every month. So um, they talk about how horrific this is. In 2020, 206 migrant remains were discovered. In 2019, it was 124, so almost double. It happens in these remote, inaccessible areas, and Mother Nature makes migrants disappear. You die in the desert. You're quickly erased. Um, so, again, I don't know the politics of this group. I don't know if they're an open borders group, and nor do I care. But they are pointing out a problem that every one of us should be embarrassed by, which is we are allowing a system in which the cartels are being enriched in huge amounts of money and empowered – and they are bringing people across the border and in such an unsafe and uncaring manner that many of them die in the desert. One of the stories we, – we continue to talk, and one of the topics that is so frustrating to me is um, we all hate, hate sexual assault. I mean it's something – it's a crime against humanity that is more about power and control and taking someone's dignity than it is about sex or pleasure. And psychologists will tell you that, that there is a, there is a level of, of t- 
taking someone's dignity from them that excites people that do this. And it's a horrible crime, whether it's a child, especially if it's a child, or whether it's an adult. And the reason why I mention that is that every single woman that crosses our border illegally in these groups is warned ahead of time. Um, Pinal County Sheriff, this is not my story. This came from Sheriff, the Sheriff of Pinal County. Sheriff Lamb told a story in front of a group and said that they had stopped a group of crossers, a group of migrants, illegal migrants, and there was a woman that had a packet of pills. Now, I don't know if they were in a Ziploc bag, what they were in, but it was some pills that were unidentified, and they kept asking her what these pills were, and they were morning after pills, not just one, but a bunch of them. Now, I don't know how many, but more than one because the expectation was that she was going to need them more than once. That she was going to be assaulted sexually on the journey into the United States. So we can talk about the politics. I absolutely 100% agree with the governors of Arizona and Texas sending people that are volunteering to go to cities like New York and Washington, D.C. I think that it sends a message. I don't think that it's just a political game. I don't think you're using and abusing migrants. I don't think you're doing any of that at all because the federal government's been doing exactly the same thing. And I will remind people over and over again. And you can check me. And as many times as I said this, if I was making this up, I would have been called out for lying or embellishing. And I'm not. Six days a week, buses show up at the 44th Street SkyTrain station. It's at 44th and Washington, just outside of Sky Harbor Airport. You can park outside of the airport and take the train into Sky Harbor. Take the the SkyTrain. It then stops at the East Economy lot, then Terminal 4, then Terminal 3. And every single day... Buses pull up there six days a week, every day except Sunday. They pull up out in front of that, and and migrants are released. They get on the train. They go into the airport, and they get plane tickets to go all over the country. Sometimes it's private groups to pay for them. Sometimes they have the money themselves to pay for these trips, but they're traveling all over the country. The Biden administration is now using Amtrak to put people on trains and send them all over the country. They have been busing and flying people all over this country now for years. And all of a sudden, Texas and Arizona are guilty of doing something horrific with migrants that are getting on the same kind of buses. It's being paid for by the states of Arizona and Texas instead of the federal government. And it's being called mean-spirited and all these other things by the mayor of New York. Mayor Adams uh, said that Governor Governor Abbott is mean-spirited. The mayor of uh, D.C., has now made two requests in in one month, in less than a month apart, uh, requesting that the National Guard come to D.C. to help them managing the crisis of human beings bust into their city. It's a federal issue. Why aren't you mad at the federal government? You're gonna you're gonna cast your blame. You're gonna cast your uh, anger. At Republican governors, because you're Democrat mayors, instead of the Democrat president whose policies are allowing this to happen in the numbers that it's happening. But don't forget the humanity here. Don't forget about this group that goes out and finds an average of two sets of remains every single month. People dying or have died in the desert. And we're a part of this system. We are allowing this to happen. The American people, by not holding our elected officials in both political parties, by not holding them accountable, we are allowing this to continue. And we all should internalize that, and we should do something about that come November. We have the power of the ballot. In a moment, we are going to talk about the retirement 
of Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's on his way out. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I want to invite you to download the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. It's one of the easiest things to do, no matter what device you have, iPhone or an Android. It's easy. Um, never miss a minute of the show again. The Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by King Lasigan K2 Vision RLE. The best vision for the valley. Schedule your virtual consult at King at K2Vision.com. White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci steps down in December after more than 15 years of public service. That's the headline. Um, How happy are people to see him going? Uh, I I think that a lot was put on his shoulders um, that maybe should. A lot of our anger was directed toward him because he was the face of it, and a lot of it he deserved. He said some things. I want you to hear a couple of things. I'm going to just take a walk back. These are part of the – this is what upset so many people and the political arguments that happened here. This was in March of 2020 on 60 Minutes. Dr. Anthony Fauci, March of 2020, talking about masks. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it, because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. March of 2020. Then in a hearing, he said this about masks and what he said on 60 Minutes. Do you now regret not advising people more forcefully to wear masks earlier? Okay, we're going to play that game. I don't regret that because let me explain to you what happened. At that time, there was a paucity of equipment that our healthcare providers needed who put themselves daily in harm's way of taking care of people who are ill. We did not want to divert masks and PPE away from them to be used by the people. So, in other words, I lied so that doctors and hospitals could have masks and the common people couldn't. Now, I would say to you it is much more important and very important for people in hospitals to wear masks if you're in those situations. I was in the emergency room um, over a three-day period multiple times when I had the high blood pressure des- diagnosis, multiple times, during right in the middle of COVID. So I saw how in close, you know, so I had an issue with a bloody nose that I couldn't stop. So it was impossible to examine me while I was wearing a mask. Impossible because I had to look up my nose. And so I understand the situation medical workers put themselves in. But he went on 60 Minutes and said, not going to do much. In the end, we find out he was right the first time. So my problem with all of this is the politics of how this happened ends up getting laid at the feet of whoever you oppose politically. So if you're somebody that agrees that we all should have been masked up and all this other stuff was going on, you throw the politics in the face of the anti-maskers. And you called those people all kinds of horrible names. You said if they weren't going to vaccinate their children or if they weren't going to get vaccinated themselves, they should lose their children. They should lose their jobs. 
That's how vile the rhetoric got in this country. It turns out the anti-vaxxers were a lot more correct than they were wrong. And now as this all goes back, what do we learn? What do we learn from all of this? I would hope what we would learn is, A, don't jump to conclusions. Don't get so entrenched in your political beliefs about other people and how it goes to their own personal medical conditions or uh, preventative measures or lack of them. And I think Fauci has to take a lot of responsibility for this. Goes on 60 Minutes in March of 2020 and says it's not going to do any good. You shouldn't be wearing masks. Then in a hearing, he said, well, I did that intentionally. I lied to the I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I lied to the American people intentionally so that we could save the PPE for medical workers. Um, so then he went on. Let's jump to what he said about masks. This is uh, January 26th of 2021. This is a physical covering to prevent uh, uh, droplets and virus to get in. So if you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on. It just makes common sense that it likely would be more effective. And that's the reason why you see people either double masking or doing a version of an N95. What do you believe? Again, you, you want to uh, cast uh, uh, anger at people. The CDC came out last week and admitted that they failed in so many ways with COVID-19 and they lost the trust of the American people. So much so that the director says they have to rebuild the agency. So at what point do people, do you and I... Uh, as we would be political adversaries in a lot of ways and a lot of uh, uh, things, when do you and I have one thing in common, which is a very healthy suspicion and doubt of what the government is telling us? I'm not talking about conspiracy theories. I'm talking about we've seen government agencies fail when we needed them most. Uh, the government has been promising poor people for years that if you let us tax rich people, your life's going to become better, and it doesn't. We have been lied to over and over again. I am – listen, I am a passionate supporter of law enforcement. What happened in Uvalde, Texas, you have to call it out when you see it. I am also a huge supporter of veterans. I am a huge supporter of the military. Uh, I, I My heart is with them and the great work, that the honorable work that they do. But you also have to acknowledge that the United States Army lied to Pat Tillman's family about his death and tried to cover it up. It caused that family anguish and hurt. They lied to the American public. That doesn't mean that I don't support the military and what they do and who they are. But if you don't acknowledge the mistakes, and sometimes they're not mistakes, sometimes they are outright wrong acts. If we don't acknowledge them and improve from them, then we're hypocrites. The CDC and Dr. Fauci and his advising, both White Houses, both the Trump and the uh, Biden White House, has failed on many, many levels. And he's going to take a, a huge pension with him, and he took huge paychecks with him, and people are worse off when it comes to business. Uh, the health of people was put into question with some of the things that he said and did. I'm glad he's gone. I, I think if for no other reason than we have to turn a page in this country and get new leadership. And he's part of the leadership that needs to go, and it's a good thing that he is.
Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about something serious that's happening in Maricopa County, a backlog of cases in the county attorney's office. We've heard about this before, right? But it's not what you think. It isn't the same reasoning. We'll talk about what it is and why coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. A reminder, Grammy Award-winning multi-platinum superstar Michael Buble is heading to the Footprint Center on September 20th for his higher tour. Limited tickets are still available, but you can win a pair now by visiting the contest page at KTAR.com. Pretty cool concert. All right. A, uh, a massive onslaught of cases, hundreds of DUI crimes without charges due to overwhelmed MCAO. Uh, That's Maricopa, Maricopa County Attorney's Office. We've heard this story before, right? Well, it's not quite the same. Uh, County Attorney Rachel Mitchell said that's a lot of cases. Right now, pending trial, my office has 187 cases involving aggravated assault with a vehicle or manslaughter with a vehicle. That's 627 cases that are handled by 15 attorneys in the county attorney's office in their vehicular crimes bureau. Six specialized attorneys take on serious cases such as felony DUIs. Each prosecutor in the division handles 50 to 60 cases. It's actually one of the largest bureaus, but we still have to have people that have the experience level to handle those cases, according to Rachel Mitchell. Uh, What I don't want is somebody who doesn't have the experience level looking at them. So we understand that the former county attorney, there was a lot of cases that went uncharged because time uh, statutes of limitations had run out. And it was frustrating for law enforcement, frustrating for the community. And they've worked very hard in the county attorney's office to reverse this. But there has been this new onslaught of cases, which is a good thing if the cops are out there making these arrests. But trying to make sure that these cases get handled um, – In 2020, some courts closed. Grand jury slots were canceled. But then they went from nine to just two. And the Maricopa County Attorney's Office was asked to hold off on a number of filings after the courts lost staff. They've also talked about it very publicly. They've had a 20 percent deficit in personnel at the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. The top top prosecutor said that's Miss Mitchell. One of the things that I've been doing in recruiting and trying to get those numbers built back up. Um, I have talked about. The necessity of a fully staffed police department that, um, you know, when a police officer goes out and takes a report of something and they aren't able to make an arrest, that they don't necessarily have the evidence they need to make an arrest of a suspect or they don't have a suspect there on scene. The case is turned over to a detective and detectives are then charged to get the follow up evidence and make an arrest if an arrest is warranted. And then it gets submitted to the county attorney's office for prosecution. That's how the system is supposed to work. If you don't have the number of detectives to do the follow-up interviews, you never get the evidence to make the case. But then when you do, you have to have a fully staffed county attorney's office that is out there making cases and making sure you have the manpower to know that people are going to get charged. This is where the system breaks down, and I know we all understand how important this is. But if you're someone that's – let's say you have a, have a problem, an alcohol problem. Um, if there isn't um, – If there isn't sufficient evidence to prove someone guilty or if they don't have the manpower to chase down the evidence and somebody that's been arrested for a DUI gets off on a technicality, there's an empowerment there. There is an understanding that there's a good chance you're going to get away with the crime. It makes things worse. It's just like any other crime. 
that when people feel as if they can get over on the system, that the system is on the uh, on the wrong side of the odds of it ever being solved, they continue to commit those crimes. Crime and punishment have to work hand in hand, and you have to have enough prosecutors. So while we talk about, and I talk about it very often, that we need to make sure whatever town you live in, or if it's the sheriff's office, the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, we as taxpayers should be making sure that we are electing leadership that understands that public safety first is not just something you put on a campaign sign. When the Phoenix Police Department and now the Phoenix Fire Department come forward and say, we are dramatically understaffed. The Phoenix Fire Department came out and said, we're not blaming anybody. We're not calling anybody out politically. We're just saying that our response times have gone from five minutes in 2010 to nine minutes now, and it's projected to be out 14 or 15 minutes in the near future if we don't do something about building enough fire stations and hiring enough firefighters. That's not a political statement. It's a statement of fact. If we as a society don't look at our elected officials, whether it's the county board of supervisors, it's the city councils or town councils in the towns you live in. If we are not electing real public safety first people, meaning you've got enough cops on the streets to make the arrests and at the county level that the county board of supervisors has the ability and the willingness to allocate enough money for a fully staffed, fully funded county attorney's office so that when these cases jump up, when the cops are doing their jobs and arresting people for DUI and getting dangerous people off the streets, there's the manpower in the prosecutor's office to make sure that if you drive drunk in this county, you're going to understand that you're going to get arrested and you're going to get prosecuted. I believe in redemption for everyone. You know, I don't think you should have a, a scarlet letter on your head for the rest of your life. But you understand when you commit a crime, when you do something like this, there's a penalty to be paid. And you shouldn't get off on a technicality, especially when you injure someone. In some of these stories, it's people that have lost limbs because of suspected drunk drivers and there hasn't been a prosecution of the case yet. And these are sad stories. People that have been injured and wronged deserve justice. They deserve to know that the system works for them. And in many cases, they feel like it isn't. And it's too bad. It shouldn't be this way. But just an update on how things really are. What we're going to do just after 11 o'clock is we're going to go back to the topic of water. It has become maybe the number one issue in Arizona. The border is important. The economy is immensely important. But what about the future of water in Arizona and how we interact with states around the southwestern United States with the Central Arizona Project? We all get uh, water from the Colorado River. We're going to talk about all of that next.